0: Differing Things is a podcast which focuses on how far religion and society have deviated from the Bible. Differing Things will cover many topics, both spiritual and current, to draw our listeners closer to their Creator. Now for today's host, Dr. Bill Petrie. I'd like to welcome you to today's edition of Differing Things. I am your host, Bill Petrie, and I really do believe that today's topic will be one that will really force you to expand your thinking on maybe a topic you've never really thought deeply about. It is important when we approach any topic to consider what the Lord says, rather than what our traditions, or denominations, or what we may think on the surface about something. I am proposing today that consensual governments, such as anarchist, libertarian, or voluntarist governments, better follow the inspired principles of good government than statist governments like that established by the United States Constitution do. Some may respond by saying, if this is true, if consensual governments are more in line with God's, we should see them in the scriptures when the people follow God. But what we actually see are kings and monarchies. Consequently, these same responders will conclude, it is monarchy, or at least centralized government, that is blessed by God as his form of government upon the earth in this differing things podcast i will demonstrate that this argument is severely flawed because it ignores a great deal of scriptural history before the inauguration of the israelite monarchy and at the same time explore the anarchist society that was established by god during the time of moses i will contend that believers in all past and present dispensations are called to pledge their allegiance to God alone, not to any nation, government, political party, or ideology. Because believers are under the rule of God alone, they are not under any other rule. Believers are thus called to be anarchists. Anarchy comes from the medieval Latin anarchia and from the Greek anarchos, meaning having no ruler. An, no, and archos, ruler, literally without ruler. Not only this, but the main task of believers in these different dispensations is to keep the body or kingdom holy, depending on the dispensational setting of the individual. This means to set apart, separate, and consecrate. We are to take great care to live lives that are set apart from the ideals, values, and methods of the world's politics. Now, what do we mean by government? Before we go any further, we need to establish what terms mean. I have already defined the word anarchy, so I will look at the definitions of government and state. Most people today equate state and government as being the same thing. This is not so. Government in its basest terms means a set of rules and social norms that guide behavior and communal actions. Government then is an umbrella word and there are many types of governments. The Boy Scouts of America, for example, is a type of government with its own laws, judges, legal system, and welfare system, but it is not a state. The Boy Scouts of America has rules and regulations set in place to determine who can be a scout what they must do and what means would be taken to remove somebody from their position if they break those rules corporations can be a government such as the ford motor company it has rules within their bylaws and thus in the truest sense is a governing body but it is not a state churches can have their own government in particular denominational churches where the denomination headquarters can give a system of rules and regulations that a local assembly must follow in order for that local assembly to be part of that denomination it is a government but it is not a state the state is a particular type of government the esteemed sociologist max weber defined the state as and i quote a human community that claims the monopoly of the legitimate use of physical force within a given territory end of quote to put it in simple english the state is the organization with the monopoly on violence in a given area. The foundation of the state is the ability of the government to compel obedience through violence or the threat of it. On the other hand, consensual governments, such as those in anarchist, libertarian, and voluntarist societies, issue violence as the way to organize society in these governments all relationships between individuals groups and political entities are entirely voluntary based on explicit consent which can be extended or contracted without penalty or punishment anarchy is not chaos those terms are often used as cinnamons today but that is not necessarily so anarchy argues that social order can and should be based on voluntary self-governing associations and rejection of violence and compulsion is not just a means of achieving social unity but is antithetical to social unity Anarchists form societies or join societies where they all agree to what principles are correct and then live according to those principles. They teach just principles as they understand them and govern themselves. People are bound together by their customs and culture, not by arbitrary lines and politically motivated violence. Knowing the definition of these terms will help us to understand the following quote from biblical scholar Dr. Norman Gottwald. Speaking of the social and political structure of Israel from Moses up to 1 Samuel chapter number 9, Dr. Gottwald says in his book, In the Shadow of Empire, Reclaiming the Bible as a History of Faithful Resistance, on pages 17 and 18 he writes early israel rose as an anti-hierarchical anti-hierarchical movement socially in its formation by tribes and politically in its opposition to payment of tribute military draft and state corvée this means that early israel not only renounced the right of outside tribes and empires to rule over it, but also refused to set up a state structure of its own. Its form of self-rule would be what some anthropologists have called regulated anarchy. There being no single center of power, but numerous power interests negotiating a tenuous unity. There is evidence that some, but not all of the tribes had chiefs, which would make them ranked communities. But the chiefs were not yet possessed of coercive power. End of quote. You can, of course, see all of this throughout the Bible from the very start all the way down to King Saul. There are of course no formal political organizations through Genesis. Not ones Abraham and his children belong to anyway. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were all leaders of a group of nomads who migrated across Mesopotamia down into Palestine and finally into Egypt. During this time, they do not rule through force as modern governments do But because their followers believe they have the skill to lead, with those who disagreed being able to leave at any time. In Egypt, we see the powers of the state in full force as the Israelites begin to grow until Pharaoh, seeing them as a threat to his power, uses his power to force the Israelite people into total subservience. Here, it is worth noting. That what we typically refer to as the Israelite slavery in Egypt was most likely corvee labor. Though to the modern mind, there is not likely to be much a difference between corvee and actual slavery, as corvee labor was usually justified by the government forcing people to pay off their taxes through physical labor. Corvee labor is unpaid labor, to pay owed taxes or tribute. Someone coming along and demanding you to give them money and then forcing you to work for them until you pay them the money they demand sounds a lot like slavery, especially given the way Corvée could become permanent as the worker might have to pay off the cost of food and housing costs which accumulated each day while he or she was working off the previous debt, thus becoming an unending source of compelled labor. The differences between this and slavery have to do mostly with when work was expected. Slavery was every day, all year, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, while Corvée, could often be seasonal in nature. In either case, the story condemns the state for its power to force people to work for it or serve it against their will. Then Moses comes along, and the Israelites are freed from the Egyptian state through God's power from the centralized figure known as Pharaoh, who believes he has the power of a God to demand and be obeyed. Though one might reasonably expect Moses to establish something of a desert kingdom for himself, Moses did not rule because he had authority to do so. People came to Moses because God chose him. By approaching Moses, They were really approaching god and it is really god not moses who ruled wandering israel it was god who gave the law god who performed the miracles and god who provided for the people here we have another important but ignored teaching god's power can truly deliver us from the state and those who honestly serve God will never act as kings and rulers over those whom they are called to lead. In God's system of government, it is always as Jesus taught Israel's apostles in Matthew chapter 20, verses 25 through 28, which states, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them. And their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Moses himself sought to decentralize his authority as much as possible. At first, he assumed the responsibility to act as the inspired judge in every case the Israelites would ask him to judge. Notice that they who asked him did not claim exclusive power to do so, and he did not insert himself into places he was not asked to be. But this quickly became exhausting. So under the inspired advice of his father-in-law Jethro, Moses created creating a series of lesser judges to do the work that had formerly solely been his. And you can see that in Exodus chapter 18, verses 13 down through 27. But even after that, He wished all of God's people would become prophets, according to Numbers 11.29, and thereby put him out of a job. He was never one to grasp for power. After the death of Moses, Joshua, the son of Nun, not any of Moses' family, became the leader of Israel. He became the Israel of the leader of Israel next, exactly because he was the prophet and God spoke through him. Among other reasons, one purpose for this seems to be to clearly avoid a Mosaic dynasty with the leadership of Israel being passed down through the family of Moses. The same proves true of Joshua. Despite him being a conquering general, something that has often led to the establishment of dictatorships and kings throughout history, though Israel is structured during the Exodus, all the structure is given by God, and no power is centralized in Moses or Joshua or their rule, but rather the people obey them, Because the people want to obey God. Once they are both dead, there is no monarchy or heirs to rulership. Moses is not a king, and neither is Joshua. They are both judges. And this model of leadership, voluntary service rendered to one inspired by God for as long as they continue in the Lord's service, is what continues not only from the Pentateuch into the book of Joshua, but on from Joshua through the book of Judges as well. This was the exact form of government established under the inspired direction and commandments of God, and through which God asserted his right to rule as king of Israel. It is in the book of Judges That we get to see the kind of government designed by the law of Moses fully in action as the people settle down to live their lives in the promised land. Something that immediately stands out is that there is no centralized structure at all, no prophet or central religious figure on earth. God rules, and when he needs someone to lead the Israelites, he raises up judges. The people can choose to follow when he chooses to do so. In contrast, the book of Judges gives us multiple examples of men who try to centralize power and rule through force. Each time they are described as wicked and evil men. Let us look, for example, at Abimelech. He wanted to use the prestige of being the son of gideon the judge in order to establish himself as the king of israel this touches off a civil war when he tries to use the same methods that all other governments use to rule violent force as agents of the state police or military in that era There was no distinction they would beat cage or kill those who refused to obey the person claiming the right to rule and for his efforts abimelech gets a millstone dropped on his head and that ends his seizure of power here we are given two vital lessons about the urge for political centralization First, that it leads to corruption and is evil because it seeks to replace the rule of God with the rule of man. The Israelites had offered kingship to Gideon after his decades of leadership, and he refused, denouncing the whole idea of having a king by saying, I will not rule over you, and my son will not rule over you. The Lord, or Yahweh, will rule over you. You can read that in Judges 8, verse 23. You can either have the Lord, or Yahweh, as your ruler, or you can have some man in place of authority and power. But you cannot have both, and you cannot follow both. This is shown when Gideon's son Abimelech tried to become king, despite what Gideon had already said in Judges chapter 8, verse 23, getting and maintaining centralized state power required atrocity after atrocity and only culminated in war and death. This is true. This is the true nature of statist governments. They are revealed for what they truly are. Second, centralization of power always leads to civil strife and violence as it arrays the people against one another. As both sides struggle, To get what they want. It never brings peace because it is founded on rule through violence. When everyone who disagrees with you becomes a threat because they could seize power and force their ideas and ways of living upon you, it is only natural that you would resist this, including meeting their violence with your own instead of people being unified it sets them at odds with one another as they separate into oppositional parties looking to gain maintain and use the means of power to achieve their goals is not this what we see taking place in the entire western world today is not this what we see taking place in the United States? Was not this how Adolf Hitler came to power in Germany? All through the book of Judges, we see how many of the tribes choose not to follow God, emphasizing the voluntary nature of the entire system they repeatedly follow false gods and idols without any kind of state or governmental response. Not all tribes are always represented when they go out to war against their invading enemies. During all this time, the thing which regulates human behavior that all Israelites choose to follow was the law of Moses. But that law is not administered from any centralized source, not even the temple, which is never mentioned. And of course it wouldn't be because it hadn't been built yet. But the tabernacle itself is not mentioned. Rather, it is administered and judged locally by judges with a small j who are respected community leaders that the people trust to make wise decisions deuteronomy chapter 16 verse 18 states judges and officers shall you appoint you in all your gates which yahweh your god is giving unto you by your judges and they shall judge the people with righteous judgment You can see this same system in the annals of European history, and it is still active in many traditional Mideast, Eastern, and Central Asian communities today. This is the height of when the people of Israel followed the law of Moses, a religiously anarchist system that provided no central ruler, but through which God directed his children. There are no kings no queens, no standing armies, no taxation of any sort. There is no state or kingdom of Israel. Israel is the kingdom of God and would not actually become a state until the inauguration of King Saul. And when it became a state, it abandoned the rulership and law of God For the rulership and laws of man. The last few chapters of the book of Judges is filled with violence and civil war, which a later Deuteronomist redactor alters to say occurred because there was no king in Israel. But this is pure propaganda from a designing and corrupt priest to try and portray the latter kings of israel as necessary and good by projecting them backwards into the scriptural history this is also what a lot of the king james translators did because of the laws of translation imposed upon them king james made it mandatory that they had to have passages which supported the rights of kings. The irony, or perhaps the evidence, that these alterations were carried out in an indirect way over a longer period of time, as proposed to all at once, is that 1 Samuel 8 survived the purge of Josiah and his like-minded successors. Why? because building on the anti-monarchist ideas of judges especially in the contrasting stories of Gideon and Abimelech first Samuel 8 is a masterstroke in destroying everything the state is built upon i also need to note here and really really hammer home this point that the rules on translation forced the king james bible translators to insert the rights of kings into the text wherever possible because of this most english language bibles contain the error of monarchist thought first samuel chapter 8 begins with samuel the last judge of israel growing old he has led the tribes of israel for all the days of his life and his sons are corrupt as in the story of gideon the leaders of israel come together and demand that the judge here samuel appoint a king over them before he dies samuel goes to the lord in prayer and the Lord answers Samuel in first Samuel chapter eight, verses seven through nine. We read this. Listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king, according to all the deeds that they have done. From the day I brought them up out of Egypt, even to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are also doing to you. Now then, obey their voice. Only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of a king who shall reign over them. Let me repeat the words of Yahweh. Listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. From these words, we see that people want human rulers only because they no longer trust God to rule. It suggests that the very existence of human state governments is evidence of human rebellion. God pleaded with his people not to go down this path. He warned them that giving a person power over them would wreak havoc in their lives fallen humans simply cannot handle having power over people listen to the words of verses 11 through 18 this will be the way of the king who shall rule reign over you he will take your sons and appoint them as his servants for his chariots and to be his horsemen and they will run before his chariots He will appoint them for captains of thousands and captains of fifties. And he will assign some to plow his ground and to reap his harvest and to make his instruments of war and the instruments of his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers, to be cooks, and to be bakers. He will take your fields, your vineyards, and your olive groves, even their best, and give them to his servants. He will take one tenth of your seed and of your vineyards and give it to his officers and to his servants. He will take your male servants and your female servants, your best young men and your donkeys. And assign them to his own work. He will take one-tenth of your flocks. And you will be his servants. You will cry out in that day because of your king, whom you will have chosen for yourselves. And Yahweh will not answer you in that day. What God knew. But what the people seemed incapable of accepting was that when fallen humans are given power, they use it in sinful ways. Exceptions to this are very rare, as history readily testifies. But the people would not listen. They demanded a king. So God reluctantly gave them what they wanted. Israel's kings were a disaster from the very start with even righteous David being an adulterer and a murderer and an individual who could not put his own family in proper order these failures led to the deaths of many citizens of Israel through terrible civil wars but then is now the people refused to heed Yahweh's warning about the fruits of centralized power and statist rule. This is the message of 1 Samuel chapter 8. The word of Yahweh to Samuel and to all those who would follow God, embracing the rule of the centralized authority and following his rules and laws is a rejection. Of God, God would be our ruler and king, and in His rule, mankind would find safety and peace. But when men would embrace worldly forms of government led by men and not by humanity, then and not by Yahweh, then humanity is abandoning him for the ways and things of this world, which will only bring us suffering and death. Whether the centralized ruler be stylized as king, emperor, president, prime minister, or potentate makes little difference. The end is the same. As you replace the wisdom and rule of God with the foolishness and domination of men through the mouth of samuel yahweh warns the people what will happen if they embrace the rule of man and centralize power over their lives is not first samuel chapter 8 verses 11 through 18 the most damning denunciation of taxation that you have ever heard. God Himself just told Israel that taxation is theft. The best of the food of the fields will be taken to feed the king and his cronies. A perpetual bribe for their loyalty paid for by the blood, sweat, and tears of the working poor, and enforced upon them. By the might of the newly formed military, their children would be seized and taken to serve him. Their daughters to be his cooks and bakers and concubines and mistresses and prostitutes as well. And the sons to be cannon fodder in his wars of conquest and to enforce his rule by killing and dying for him the king will even pervert the law of tithing to fill his coffers with their goods all of which will reduce them to the status of slaves in comparison to the king and is not that the truth the state, by always seeking to expand the wealth and power of those in command, ever seeks to reduce those not in power to the status of slaves, the machine of state, and those who pull its lever? Yet the mob, in all of its infinite wisdom, still demands a king. And so they get one. This, of course, is a disaster for Israel. As every king they have makes things worse and worse for them socially, embroiling them in endless fratricidal civil wars. First between David and Saul, then between David and two separate wars against two of his sons. Finally, Solomon's purge when he comes to power. And multiple wars of conquest. Leaving all the people with a lower standard of living than ever before. First Samuel chapter eight reveals that governments are a mere concession on God's part to humans who do not trust God to rule them. Since humans are rebellious and insist on having them, God uses governments as much as possible, to preserve as much law and order as possible. But this does not mean that God approves of them. Often in the Old Testament, God would use a wicked nation, an example might be Assyria, to punish Israel. But then he would turn around and punish the nation he used for being wicked Isaiah chapter 10 is an example of this. That is is God's attitude toward human governments. They are under the influence of Satan. Luke chapter 4 verses 5 through 7 states, And leading him up into a high mountain, the devil showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, I will give you all this authority, and their glory to you, because it has been delivered or surrendered to me, and I give it to whomever I wish. Then, if you worship before me, all will be yours. Luke explains why state governments are inherently corrupt. They are controlled by the adversary, the greatest slanderer of all time. Satan, the existence of a centralized state government is automatically a rejection of one of the central tenets of the law of Moses. The central tenet being that God is king. And what we call the law of Moses was actually God's law. By demanding a tenth of all their flocks, the king is setting himself up as a god is the only being that Israelites had paid tithes to before was God. Notice that if the king is demanding a tenth of their flocks, then that is automatically interfering with God's law, which says he gets a tenth of the flock in tithing. We see the culmination of this current in the New Testament where the Pharisees and Sadducees warped the law of Moses to justify their positions of power and as a tool to murder Jesus Christ. But the roots of this Golgothian tree lie here, and it grows across the pages of the Old Testament as the people adore their king and care more for the divisiveness of politics and power. instead. Of serving Yahweh and all of it finally culminates at Golgotha all of this is true today the existence of the centralized state is the embrace of man as God which is why people look to those in power to do everything even the impossible such as eliminating all bigotry all hate all power poverty and deliver paradise embracing the rule of the state can only come by rejecting god as your rightful ruler and authority for the laws of men which command us to do many things in direct violation of god's will such as kill how many millions of innocent unborn children were murdered by the laws of men <clears throat> the whole woke society that is being built in the western world is an embracing of the rule of the state and a rejection of god common sense flies out the window as man looks more and more to the centralized state to do what god had said he would do they look to the state to eliminate all that bigotry and hatred and poverty and to deliver paradise but only god can deliver those things the powers of the world seek to take the place of God in the hearts of men and women everywhere. I suspect, as in the case of divorce, which you read about in Matthew chapter 19, verses 7-8, where God has allowed it because the people were not ready to accept what they could have had. God allowed the ancient Israelites also to have their king. And he allows us to have our modern states, not because they are his will, but because we are too fearful, too foolish, too obstinate to embrace what he would give us if we would but accept it. But this sad situation will continue until he himself returns to set it right. As a believer, however, there is no excuse for us to continue holding on to these tumorous carcasses of violence, greed, idolatry, and evil forced upon us by human authorities. Instead, we must not be faithless, but believing, trusting in God and his power to do what Babylon never has and never will, provide us with peace, liberty, and prosperity. This is why a believer is not under the authority of any state government. I know I have talked about this in length in the past, and I would suggest listening to the Differing Things podcast titled, The Proper Relationship Between the Christian and the State, where I address why Romans 13 is not talking about state government. Though seemingly idyllic, it is possible to build a society of liberty, peace, and prosperity for all, but only through the evangel of the Apostle Paul and the revelation of the secret that has been hid but now today is being revealed through the body of Christ, and only if we stop justifying and indulging everything else. All that we are lacking is the courage in the faith to renounce the ways of the world and embrace Christ. The revelation of the secret as revealed through the pen of the Apostle Paul truly lived without compromise to the ways of the world. It is the most powerful and radical force for change on the planet. Let us renounce the sinful states of the world. Let us renounce the loyalties and lies that justify them Let us live solely according to the evangel given to the Apostle Paul. Let us love and serve one another. Let us embrace consensual government, and we will be on the high road of grace and peace as we follow Jesus Christ, the Savior of all mankind, the way the Apostle Paul followed him. Did that the Apostle Paul state in Philippians 3.17? Be fellow imitators of me, brothers, and consider those walking this way, even as you have us, for a pattern. For many walk as hostile to the cross of Christ, of whom... I often told you, and now even weeping, I say it, whose end is destruction, whose God is the belly, and who glory in their shame. The ones thinking earthly things. Stop thinking earthly. Human state governments are good and necessary. It is time. For believers to renounce the prince of this world and his system of state governments and cling to Christ alone is our head authority. I really hope I have given you a lot to think about today. I hope I have challenged you on your commonly held beliefs. And hopefully it inspires you to study the Word of God more thoroughly. If you have enjoyed this podcast, or it has caused you to think, please consider following us, giving us a like, and leaving your comments. I'd love to hear from you. Good day, and God bless. We want to thank you for listening to this week's Differing Things podcast. If you would like to get more information about the Bible, please check out our website, www.beacon-ministries.org. Do not forget to join us next week for a new Differing Things podcast.